everybody. Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me in studio for this edition of the Third Line Plug Sensecast, my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's been good, and it's always good to be back on the island, especially because I'm not freezing my ass off. That's true. What was it? What was the temperature like when you left Calgary? Funnily enough, it was like plus five, but it was going back to like negative ten that week, so dodging a bullet as always. That's fantastic, man. That's fantastic. So, Tim, before we go any further with this episode, we got to acknowledge that we have a very special guest on the line with us. Joining us for this week's episode is the editor-in-chief on Last Word on Hockey, as well as the co-host of the Edinburgh Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show from Kitchener, Ontario, our guest, Alex Metzger. Alex, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. It's good, guys. Thanks for having me. Good, man. How have you been doing these past couple of weeks? Because I know you were talking off camera that you had exams. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, those went all well, so now I got uh, three or four weeks off here before we kick it in the next semester, but it's always a nice break in the December months to just sit down, watch some hockey, and some World Juniors, too. Yeah, and not have to think about studying for once. Exactly. <laughs> so, guys, I'm very excited that we can get together to do today's episode, because today's episode is Season 3, Episode 12, in chronological order, Episode 66. Now, we've got Senators social media director, and content producer, Craig Medaglia. So just a little backstory for those who don't know who Craig is. As I've said it off the top, he's the director of Sense Social Media as well as a content producer for the team. He and his team have been responsible for such videos as All Roads Lead Home, Road Trippin', and of course, Boro Cop. So Alex, because you're our guest, I want to get your thoughts here on Craig Medaglia and the work that he's been doing over the past couple of seasons because Tim and I have said on the show that We've been really impressed with the work that he's been doing, and given that the team has given him stuff to work with, has also been fantastic. Yeah, he's been absolutely amazing. In my opinion, and obviously there's bias here, but in my opinion, the Sens have one of the best social media accounts in the league, from you know those pregame warm-up montages to updates to the game, and just all kinds of fun stuff when they're not playing. It, it's amazing, and it's good to see the team kind of lean into it a little in the past year or two as well to let them go. I know the Dylan DeMello videos and stuff like that, those are all awesome to watch. They're so much fun, and Craig is amazing. I, I have nothing but good things to say about him. Absolutely, and you know, we also can't forget that he was also responsible for the Thomas Shabbat contract extension video this past offseason. <laughs> yeah, and another gold one. I mean, there's just there's so many that you can go down and just so many good tweets and, and you know, hidden jokes in there, too, uh, among, you know, like the Twitter community and stuff like that. He, he seems like such a great guy, and he's the perfect guy for the job. Yeah, and it's one of the things that you definitely notice about the Senator's product on social media is just the high amount of effort that's put into it. Like, I don't think any social media account even really comes close, except maybe the scoreboard guys down in Dallas. Yeah, and it's not just them, right? It's also people on since Twitter, who are fans, who from, oh God, you know, Gatineau Gray, guys like that. And Magical even, sense. yeah, and uh, <laughs> Finnegan's Ghost, who I started following on Twitter the last couple of months, and he's been fantastic, man. Like, I was reading his tweet today that uh, the kid who's like the projected number one pick, he said he wears number 11 because he's a big Daniel Alfredson fan. None of that's true, but I'm tweeting that out anyway. <laughs> he will be. So we got to talk about next week's cover athlete because next week's episode is season three, episode 13 in chronological order, episode 67. Now, of course, we've only got one person on the board for that. And that, of course, is Toronto Marley's legend, Ben Harper. Wow. 
really scraping the ba- barrel there, Tay. I know. Well, you know what, though, Tim? Like, if we had it, somebody else at war number 67, we could honestly... Did you hear that sound, Tay? You see, Alex, this is what I gotta do with <laughs> on a weekly basis here. I'm sorry. I, I was wondering what happened there. I was, wasn't sure if I cut out. No, no. Just he's making he's just ma- Yeah, he's making the barrel scraping sound. <laughs> <laughs> so, gentlemen... Given that we are in the Christmas season, I feel the best way we should talk about it. Now, usually, Alex, with our episodes, we would talk about our week or recap last week's episode. Now, given that we have you as a guest, we've decided that we would switch it up a little bit and talk about our Christmas holidays. So we're going to start off with you, Alex. Now, given that you were doing exams and you were just now watching some hockey, how has your Christmas been, given that we are in Boxing Day? Oh, it's been very good, thank you for asking. I uh, had a bunch of family events over the past couple of days, so ate a lot of really good food. Uh, spent a lot of time with family, which was nice. For Christmas, I got a brand new Mark Stone Vegas jersey, so that was kind of nice. I think my next one on the list is either going to be a Shabbat or Kachuk Sens one, but I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, it was really good. How about, how about yours? How was your guys? That wasn't too bad. I mean, obviously been very busy with life and everything, and given that I'm off for three weeks from work... It, I thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna get some, you know, some relaxation and just some R and R to do nothing. But overall, it's been really busy. I got a chance to see some family yesterday for Christmas dinner, which I hadn't really seen in a while because of work and life and everything. And it's been pretty good. I mean, I didn't obviously didn't get a Mark Stone jersey, although I have one in my closet from when I was in Ottawa a few years ago. But yeah, overall, my Christmas holiday's been good. I still got another week to go until I'm back to work, and I'm just gonna. You know, kick back, and I am going to start watching some Team Canada hockey because I had, didn't get a chance to watch the game today. So, Tim, can I ask the question, man? How has your Christmas holidays been? Mine's been pretty good. It's mostly just been uh, seeing friends and family that I don't get to see out in Calgary because uh, my family lives out here, and I did my undergrad at UVic, so uh, it's always good to catch up. But I've actually managed to get some downtime, and I don't get that very often because Chelsea's doing school. I work I work full time, and I'm kind of pick, I'm trying to pick up more of the chores around home, so I don't really have a lot of ass time. So I sat down and I watched uh, most of a show called Chihaya Furu, an anime about playing karuta, which is a traditional Japanese uh, game where you have cards that have the second verses of poems on them. Okay. And a reader reads out the first verse of the poem, and then they match poems together, and you have to slap the card that has the poem on it. So it's a sports anime about this traditional game, and it's fantastic. And the show came out in 2011, but the third season is currently airing. So the first season came out in 2011, second season 2013, and then there was a six-year gap. Okay, was it kind of like Kirby Enthusiasm, where there was a big gap between this season and the last? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm currently finishing up season two, and season two is probably one of the best sports anime I've ever seen. Funnily enough, the other really good sports anime is a tank show called girls on panzer where it's girls driving world war ii tanks and it's a sports show so uh yeah watch chihaya furu (laughs) it's excellent so given that we just talked about our holidays alex i feel that we should segue into the 2019-2020 ottawa senators first half recap now I, we do understand that the Ottawa Senators have not officially hit 41 games, so we are a, pr- a little bit pre- premature with that. 
But, you know, we do have a lot of stuff to talk about for the first half recap. Now, before we go into that, Alex, we got to get a little bit to getting to know you because doing this show, we have always got a chance to talk with some really great people. And I know that you were somebody who DM'd us about a year ago saying, like, hey, if you ever needed a guest for the show, I'd love to come on. And I feel like this is the best way we should start about. So I got to ask the all-important question, Alex. How did you discover the Third Life Lux Sense guest? This is going to be anticlimactic, but I have no idea. If I'm being totally honest, I don't remember. Uh, I think I followed you guys on Twitter maybe a year and a half ago or so, and the other way around. And then, you know, uh, I usually try and follow a bunch of the Sense Twitter accounts I can back. And, you know, I like interacting with all kinds of Sense fans on my feed. But from there, I, I listened to a few episodes. And I thought, hey, this is cool. And uh, I have a podcast of my own as well. So I figured, hey, I'd reach out and see if they ever need someone to fill in or whatever. I put my name out there and, you know, I don't know. It never hurts to ask, but, uh, and yeah, you guys DM me, I don't know, a month and a half ago or so asking if I want to come on. I was honored. Very grateful to be here. For sure. And I know that when you DM'd us back in January, that was one of the things that was still in the back of my head was that, you know, if one of us went down with an illness or we can't do the podcast, then we would reach out to you and see if you want to do it. And given that we were doing our first half recap, Tim and I were talking about, well, who do we want for this? And I remember bringing you up to him and I said, well, why don't we get Alex Metzger to do it? He DM does on Twitter. He's interested in coming on the podcast. And from there, I just decided, you know what? We could get him to do the first half recap, but what if he came on as a third host? And I think that would be fantastic because we've never done anything like that. We've had people who filled in in the past, but we've (laughs) never had anybody who has done a first half recap as well as being a guest host. Yeah. And I won't make it awkward this time. That's true. You you made it very awkward for Joseph last time. He's he was never on. come back. I don't. Is he even on Twitter anymore? Oh, I don't think so. No, I think Twitter had enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure it won't be like that for for this one, right, guys? Hopefully I'm on, not. I'm gonna be on my best behavior. <laughs> I'm just playing around. <laughs> there's there's not too much that can uh, really put me off as long as we're talking hockey. That's that's all we're here to do, right? So. Have That's you heard my time. favorite story? Oh, God. You're not bringing this up now, are you, Tim? <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So as we said off the top, Alex, you are also the writer and editor-in-chief for Last Word on Hockey. And I got to ask, how long have you been with Last Word on Hockey, and how did you get to be their editor-in-chief? Uh, so it's approaching almost two years now. It'll be two years in February that I've been with LastWordOnHockey.com. And I just started as a writer uh, a couple years ago a podcast called the fourth line hockey podcast picked me up as a writer they found my stuff online and i was just doing a personal blog there i didn't really think it was going to be anything serious and and they picked me up and asked if i wanted to come write some articles so i said sure and they gave me a bit of a platform and from there i saw uh, they were working with last word on hockey and i, I just i don't know, i just kind of applied i thought what they were doing was kind of cool so i applied i got accepted and uh yeah i just started writing articles for them I, again like i never really it's not, uh, it's not a job now, but uh, you know, it's more than I thought I'd do. I never really thought I'd do much with writing, but now I'm writing, you know, a couple times a week, and from there, you know, it took me about a year and a half, and I think this past February, about a year maybe, because in February they asked if I wanted to become an editor, so I did that for a little while, and a couple months later in August, uh, there was a managing editor spot that opened up, and they said you've been here a long time, uh, would you like to apply? And there was a couple of us that applied, and. I was uh, lucky enough to be chosen, and so that's where we are now. It's uh, it's a great opportunity, and, and I'm very thankful for it. 
So when it comes to your writing, like how do you go about doing it? Are you somebody who can write something and let it stew for a bit and then come back? Or are you just more of a sort of free form, you just write what you think and then go back and edit it later on? I usually need to be pretty motivated. So it's like, generally speaking, I'll write my whole 1,000 words or whatever it is, and then I'll go back and I'll take a look at it and make sure everything looks good. But I, I know personally I have a hard time sometimes you know, you'll, sometimes you'll get an idea, you're like, oh, I have to write about this. And then from there, I'll crank out an article in under an hour. And then there's other times where it's like, I want to write something, but I'm not exactly sure. So sometimes I'll let it sit and come back to it and go, okay, and then I'm not sure if it fits or not, so I'll scrap it. Or maybe I'll change the idea a little bit. But yeah, you, generally speaking, when I write, it's because I, I have an idea and I go write for it. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel you on saying things, sometimes things die on the vine, because I know I do it anime card game blog and then there's been times for this show too where we, we've had an idea for a bit and then we we actually tried to write it's like no this is too mean no this doesn't make sense no this actually wasn't a good idea like i think we we're gonna do uh yeah for the draft lottery episode in our second season we we're gonna do like a fake world vision ad for adopting player sends players who needed to do home and then jonathan petra died that week and we're like well, we're not doing that. Yeah. Well, it was all that, and we also had another one when Ubergate was at its, at its height, too, and you and I were talking about it, and you started writing it up, and you just messaged me like, no, this is way too mean-spirited. I don't think we can get away with this. Yeah. So, like, I really feel it's like, sometimes you look at it, it's like, it's a good, it's an idea, and then it's like, oh, this doesn't fit, oh, this isn't right. I really Yeah, can't. sometimes it just doesn't work, and that happens, right? But that's why you move on, and you look for the next thing. So, including as being the editor-in-chief and writer for Last Morning Hockey, you're also the co-host of the Eminem podcast with Chase McCallum. So, given that we are also a hockey podcast, we got to ask the question, how long have you been doing the podcast, and when you first started it, did you see it more as an extension of Last Word on Hockey, or did you see it something completely separate from the blog? That's a good question. So, me and Chase are good friends in, you know, real life. We're both from the same town, and we'd always kind of talked about doing a podcast, but we never really you know, thought we'd be able to do one. And we're like, well, who would listen anyways, right? And so when we started, because he was writing with me at Last Word on Hockey when we first started too, and there's a few podcasts on that site, and, you know, we just kind of said, what the heck, let's just do it, right? So we just kind of started, we recorded an episode, and uh, saw it. we didn't think it was that good, so we didn't bother posting it. And then uh, a couple months later, we came around to it again. We're like, let's, let's give this another shot. And I think it was last June when we started, so a year year and a half ago now and i don't know from there it definitely i think you guys have a podcast so you know it's uh it gets better as time goes on right you know if you go back and listen to your first episode to now it's like oh my gosh how did we how are we even still doing this but uh yeah we just kind of did it and it was separate enough i think it's still a little bit separate but we we have it on the site as well but yeah ours is definitely just more angled towards hockey because chase is a penguins and leafs fan whereas i am a diehard senators fan so we'll talk about our teams but then we'll also just kind of look at what's going on around the league so given that we were just talking about how to get to know you the best way we're going to go about this we're going to segue into the 2019-2020 ottawa senators first half recap so we're going to start off by talking about the Sens performance in the first half now coming into the season expectations were non-existent with the majority of the fan base knowing this would be a tank here so a lot of the fans were of the mindset of you don't have to win just be entertaining now 
I think it's very, very safe to say that this team has way overachieved as they're only two games below 500 with Big Ten production in their top six from guys like Jean-Gabriel Pajot and Anthony Duclair. Solid play in their secondary with guys like Connor Brown and Tyler Ennis, as well as solid goaltending from Anders Nilsson. So with all of this being said, what kind of expectations did you have for Ottawa coming into the season? And overall, how do you feel they have performed under it? Yeah, no, I was one of the many fans who figured they would be a bottom two or three team. Coming into the year, I had them grouped with Detroit and L.A. I didn't think Detroit would be quite this bad either, but they are. Yeah, I don't know. Ottawa's blown my expectations out of the water pretty much from every way, and not just from their record standpoint, but from their play too. So uh, I'm pretty big into advanced stats, and one of the things I look at are expected goals and Corsi 4 percentage, and those aren't uh, telling of what has... uh, They are telling of what has happened, but they're a good predictor of future success as well, or, you know, how well a team is playing, quote-unquote. And they're not perfect, and you need to use other things as well, of course, but one of the most impressive things about this to me is Ottawa ranks uh, 13th in expected goal four percentages here at 50.52. DJ Smith and the team himself has been playing outplaying opponents or playing even with a bunch of their opponents throughout the year and to me that's an encouraging thing to see because it's not like Ottawa's had some easy schedule. They have played and beaten a lot of very good teams in this league and that's the biggest thing to me is that they're outperforming their record because guys like Duclair are stepping up, which is awesome to see. But it's not just a high, hot shooting percentage that's carrying them through. It's actually sustainable play to build on in future years as well. Yeah, and I think uh, really building on kind of that line is, yeah, I think all of our expectations have been blown away and it's sustainable. The other thing is the Senators can actually break out of their own zone, which is something you couldn't see last year. And that's really contributing to uh, that expected goals edge that the Senators have it's slight but it's there and what's surprising is uh, and remember that it's expect it's an expectation so this is all fitted values from a model that could be good for a playoff spot and probably don't want it this year although uh, we got that sweet sweet San Jose pick I'm wishing we got that Columbus pick too could you imagine three of the top 10 oh my god that would have been amazing in fairness, it would have given our draft episode in June. It would have given our draft episode something really great to talk about. Yeah, just try pick. <laughs> but anyway, we're getting greedy. But back to the main thing is, I don't think anyone saw this coming because you saw Dom's models, you saw, you saw like the evolving wild models. You had the Sens at the bottom, right under Detroit, and it seemed reasonable. But Anthony Duclair's stepped into his own. Uh, Pajas really stepped up. And we'll be talking about individual players in a bit. But honestly, it's just been good, hardworking, fun hockey. So of a lot of the new faces on the team this year, we also have a brand new face behind the bench in DJ Smith. Now, following the firing of Guy Boucher and the departure of Mark Crawford, the Sens hired DJ Smith as head coach over more favored candidates like Patrick Waugh and former Sens head coach Jacques Martin. Now, I remember Sens Twitter was just beside themselves on the hiring, given that DJ Smith had never been a head coach in the NHL. He was the least likely candidate to land the job. And also, he was the defensive coach for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I actually feel that he has really turned this team around. And it's not just from on-ice production, but I feel like the culture has changed within the team since DJ has taken over as a number of players outside of guys like Mark Borbieski or Brady DeChuck are really sticking up for each other. And I remember the game against Tampa Bay earlier this year when Yanni Gouda ran Mark Borbieski from behind and Dylan DeMello dropped the gloves with them. And it appears that this team has a team-first mentality that I've noticed. And while we do scoff at Pierre Dorian's comments from last from a year or two ago, you know, there were a team comment. I feel that 
the team has really bought into that. And he's also making players accountable and making them earn their ice time with noted players like Bobby Ryan, Miguel Blacker, or even most recently with Logan Brown and Colin White. I do have a couple of negatives about him. I do feel he is too quickly to shuffle the lines around after a loss, both on offense and defense. And I also feel he's very impatient with younger players as we started the season off with many young guns until like five games in when really Eric Brastrom was the only one left on the team. So what were your thoughts on the DJ Smith hiring at the time? And how do you feel he has done as head coach try the sense so far? At the time, I was uh, skeptical of it. I didn't think Law was a good choice either. I thought what he did at Colorado was based the, the year they made the playoffs was based on some very unsustainable play. Uh, but my bigger problem with DJ Smith at the time was I was glad because he sounded like a player's coach. I don't think that was ever a question. Everyone in Toronto loved him. Uh, what I was a little worried about was he was handling... Was it the penalty kill or the power play? The penalty kill, sorry, in Toronto. And that was just atrocious last year. Now, uh, when he left, it didn't get much better this year either, I don't think, So and, until Mike Babcock left. So I think it's fair to say that maybe that was more Mike Babcock having an effect than really he did. But he also handled the defense. And again, the ice time on that was a little questionable. But uh, again, I think it's fair to say that a lot of that might have been the head coach and not him. So that's why I was a little questionable coming in. Uh, I pretty much agree totally with uh, what you said about what he's done this year. I think uh, he's really got everyone to buy into the system, and I know that can be overrated a little bit. But, uh, again, like uh, what I brought up with the expected goal stuff, it's showing on the ice, right? Everyone's playing hard. Everyone's going in the net hard. There, If you go to hockeybiz.com, it's great. It can, it can show you all the heat maps where shots are coming from. Mm-hmm. Otto's got a big red circle right in front of the net, and that's where the highest danger chances are going to come from. And so you got everyone buying in, going to the net hard, everything like that that uh if i did have a criticism it'd just be like yours i i don't think he's done enough with the young guys this year i think he uh you know whether that's sending someone like batherson down uh after two games and same with chlapic after you give chlapic five minutes and 12 seconds i believe it was in the first game but uh, i don't know like I'm not against sending people to Belleville. I just think that oftentimes when someone gets sent to Belleville, it's just accepted as their only option, and I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, It's the same kind of idea with Logan Brown. I don't think he's been great this year, but I don't think he has much more to prove in Belleville either. You know, I think he's been playing well and getting somewhat unlucky, but I also don't know if he's been put in the best position to succeed at times. And same with, you know, having both Brown and Colin White play on the wings – I don't see a benefit for that in a year where, yes, they're not at the very basement of the league, but it's not like this team's a cup contender. We should still be trying to build the guys going forward. Absolutely, but it's also this ice management of even guys like Max Lejoie, who, for a number of games, he was only playing 8, 9, 10 minutes a night, and we'll talk about this later on in the games, but that was one of the big criticisms I have, and Tim had as well, is that with the young guys... He's not, as you were saying, he's not putting him in a position for these guys to succeed. They're putting him in a position kind of Mm -hmm. where Cody Ceci was, where they're of the mindset of don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake, because if they make a mistake, their time is going to get way, way Way, short short. as a result. And it's it's ridiculous. You have Shabbat playing 32 minutes and Lejoie playing six. Yeah, and then um, Gulabev, who's playing 25 minutes. Yeah, exactly. 
Like, that's my biggest thing, right? Like, I, I don't mind playing Shabbat if you need to, a game or two here. He's young. He's got the legs. He can do it. I don't think you should be running him 30-plus every night. That's a bad idea. But there's no way you can't find minutes for a guy like Lajoie when you have Golubov going over the boards 20-plus a night. Like, I, I don't think Golubov has been... He hasn't been good, but he hasn't been as bad as I thought. But, like, there's just no need for him to be out that much. Mm-hmm. Well, the one that I found surprising is Borbietsky's sustaining high minutes, too. But I think part... It's just, you have two guys, you have both Berglund and Lajoie get sub-10. That's just not good player management. Like, so I think that's something that I hope DJ Smith changes. And I think that's the only real qualm I have with the guys, just the player deployment is very questionable. Yeah, I'd agree with that, too. And I mean... one thing I do want to point out is that every coach is kind of like that too, right? Like there's no perfect NHL coach because there's no perfect person. Uh, I would just like in a, in a season like this where, uh, you know, even if the team finishes, say, what, 21st or something like that, I would just like to see that they're building guys like Anglin or Lajoie who they might not have a big future with Ottawa, but they might be a third pair guy or something with Ottawa in two or three years build that for the future and let them at least develop in a year that doesn't mean much. Pretty much. So, guys, let's talk about some familiar faces with the team. And we're going to start off with Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Now, coming into this season with the departures of Matt Duchesne and with the amount of young guys making the roster, Pajot's role got much bigger than it was in previous years as he went from a bottom six guy to a top six guy. Well, Pajot did get off to a bit of a slow start of the season. He was absolutely on a tear in November when he had 11 goals for 14 points which then brought the team to a crossover with him, given that he is a UFA July 1st. Now, given the depth Ottawa has in the pipeline at center and with his contract expiring this summer, if you were Pierre, Dorian, Alex, coming the trade deadline, would you trade him or would you re-sign him to a new contract? I would trade him, absolutely. Especially, it depends on the return. It always depends on the return. You don't trade him just because, you know, if you're only getting offered a fourth-round pick or whatever, you don't just trade him. But if... The rumor right now is that there's first-round picks potentially out there for him, and I don't see how you don't uh, jump on that. I, I love Pajot. I think he's a heart-and-soul guy. I think he, he's a very, very good player. He's always been pretty strong defensively, and I think on any team he'll fit into their bottom six center roles and play amazingly. Uh, that being said, uh, he's shooting at, uh, what's his shooting percentage this year? 20.5%, which is... 10% higher than his career average. So even if he finishes with, say, 30 goals, I don't think you should be expecting him to score 25-plus from here on in, you know? He's already 26 years old, I believe, uh, 27 years old, and so guys start declining as they get into their 30s. If you were to keep him, i maybe sign him for two or three years and let him be your next captain until you feel one of Kachuk or Shabbat ready. But the if the return out there is a first-round pick, I have a hard time saying no they should keep them yeah especially with the ottawa centers being in a rebuild i would be absolutely okay with getting a first rounder for him and i know that tim and i have a thing on the show called discussion period where we would bring up something we would see on twitter or something in the news cycle or something that we'd bring up and that was the one of the things we talked about is what would we do with pajot and i was saying i agree with you i would trade pajot and if we were to keep him i would say re-sign him and put him to the wing because of the depth that we have at center with guys like Colin White, Logan Brown, Josh Norris, some of the young guys we have in the pipeline, right? And it doesn't make sense if we're going to sign him for five years and keep him at center if he's just going to be a logjam for the younger guys coming up. Yeah, for sure. I, I think there is value to have 
a guy like Peugeot on the team. He clearly loves it here. He clearly brings the morale up, even in, you know, last season. That was one of the hardest seasons of Ottawa hockey to watch. They were finishing 31st place, and they didn't even have their first-round pick. But every time he scored, he was still so pumped up, and he was getting his line mates pumped up, and it was great to see. But, yeah, that being said, just with all the – all the players that Ottawa's got coming up in the system, they're going to be drafting a whole bunch more of this draft, and this draft is supposed to be a very good one. If you can get some premium assets back, I, you, I think you just have to take it. Yeah, and hopefully you can sign him back. Yeah, that would be a big thing, too. <laughs> I, I have no idea if he would want to come back. I would not I would be shocked if he would be absolutely against it, but if you could trade him and then re-sign him in the summer, that would be the best of both worlds. I think so. I would be happy with that. Yeah. If he's down to do it, I'd be down. So let's turn our attention to Anthony Declare. So when Tim and I did our preseason episode a few months ago, I spoke about Declare regarding Pierre, Dor- Pierre Dorian's decision to give him a prove-it deal instead of a long-term extension this previous offseason very positively. With how Duke has played in the small amount of time he did with Ottawa last season, I mentioned that I would be very happy if he were to score 20 to 25 goals in the 1920 season. Well... We're only 38 games in, and he's already at 21 goals. And he's on pace at no to pot, I believe, close to about 46, 47. But outside of his goal scoring, one thing I've been very impressed with has been his hustle and his overall 200-foot game, as he is always moving, he's always getting in position to make a play happen, and he's always in a position to get a one-timer off, as seen on the power play in overtime. Given his production so far this season being a contract year, Duke has 100% proven he is worthy and deserving of a long-term extension. Now, with all this being said, what kind of expectations do you have for Duke Claire coming into the season? And come New Year's Day, what would you give him in an extension? That's a good question. Uh, yeah, I wanted to. I actually wrote an article back in August about how Ottawa needs to, and their fans uh, specifically, need to set reasonable expectations for Duke Claire. I thought. Uh, last year when he came to Ottawa, his shooting percentage was uh, a little high. Uh, he shot 20%, and he's at 18.4 this year. But you know what? He's a career 13.7% shooter. Uh, I, you don't need stats to tell you that he has an amazing shot. When you watch him one-time a shot or snap one off the power play, you know that he's got a great shot. So it does, it's not shocking that you know even if he had a normal shooting percentage this year, he'd still be at roughly 16 goals or so. I think what I would give him, he's a guy where I I think I'd be probably comfortable giving him four years or so, three three to five years, anywhere in that. And depending on the AAV, you know, if it's three or four years, maybe you give him four or five million dollars. I think that's where the market would be. It depends where he finishes with goals this year too, right? The other option is I think he has arbitration rights this summer. Maybe you send him to arbitration and then see if he can do it again. I would be more comfortable giving him a a medium-term deal. You know, he's not the guy you want to lock up for seven or eight years, obviously, but uh, he can be a very useful piece, and I think getting him to anywhere in that three to five range for – Around the same price, I think that would be a good deal for both sides. You know, it, it would give Duclair some stability, which he hasn't had since being in the NHL. He's been on, I think, five different teams now or four different teams now. And uh, he's been bouncing around a lot the last couple of years. So that would give him a, a steady home and a very steady and good paycheck for the next couple of years, too. I would be very happy giving him a long-term extension instead of going to arbitration, given that the fans could point to when Mark Stone did the same thing when he went to arbitration, got his one-year deal, and then all of a sudden he's now a UFA. 
and we're yeah. going to end up losing him. And I think with Matthew Duclair, while his talent isn't of Mark Stone's, I agree with you. I totally believe that if they give him three to five years at four to five mil, I would be 100% comfortable with that. Yeah, and you'd have someone who's has the ability to be maybe not a marquee scorer of the league, but a very, very powerful weapon. And the other thing that I think gets missed about the discussion about Anthony Duclair is there's a lot of hockey IQ in there. And, like, look at a lot of plays where he's always moving. Oh, I don't have the... I can't use my speed here. Turn back. Oh, there's the opportunity. Up the icy go. And you have a very a player who has a very high expected goal percentage. Very He's shooting a lot more. And he's just getting himself open, playing very well. And I think he complements a lot of players on the Senators. So I'd be very happy having Duclair here, definitely over the medium term at the least. Yeah, and it's funny, when we got him last season, the one comment I made was that we were watching him and he produced right out of the gate. I remember saying to you, Tim, I was like, what is it about the situation he has in Ottawa versus what he had in other teams where... Like, his career was on life support when we got him at the deadline. And I'm like, okay, he's just a guy that got thrown in. And then he does a 180 and just rejuvenates his career in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and the biggest thing, I think, with him in past markets was consistency. Now, I I didn't watch him a ton in Columbus or Chicago. I think some of those might have been a little overblown. But I do know that people who covered the team had complaints that, you know, uh, like you said, where uh, now in Ottawa, he kind of, if he doesn't have a lane, he'll take it back. He'll use his speed and he'll go somewhere else. Or I think we mentioned earlier, you know, how hard he's been back checking this year. He didn't always do that uh, in the past. And, and he's really found his game and is doing that now. And I think that's the biggest difference. And that's why I think most teams should be more comfortable uh, locking him up longer term now or, you know, medium term, I guess, if that's what we want to call it. And, and I mean, even, you know, let's say this is a career year for him. He scores, what, 35, 40 goals. If you lock him down for 4 or $5 million and he scores 25 goals for you next year, I don't think you're complaining about that at all. No, that's great value still. Yeah, especially if maybe he's doesn't produce offensively, but he continues to back check. He continues to play the complete 200 foot game. I would have no complaints if he was not scoring and also not playing a complete game. Then I would start complaining like, okay, why are we paying him this much? Why are we playing him? You know? And I think that's where a lot of the complaints for me would have come, but I feel that if he can continue what I was talking about, I would be 100% happy with giving him a long-term extension. Yep, I totally agree. I, I know, like, this year, I was just looking at his heat map. Uh, Ottawa's a bit of a mess when he in their own end when he's on the ice, but they're uh, the exact opposite when he's in the offensive zone. They're on fire. So, I mean, I think you have to accept that he's not going to be some Mark Stone, Selkie-type winger, and that's totally fine. Just put him in a position to succeed. Put him with some decent defensively-minded wingers that can cover up for him a little bit, but let him run around in the offensive zone and do what he does. And as long as he's back-checking hard and trying to get and, you know, and causing the guy, the third guy on the rush or whatever, to have to peel off or staying with his man on the blue line, I don't think he should ask for much more of a guy who can pot goals with ease. And, and that's fine. You know, Not everyone has to be a 200-foot player, but if you can work to becoming more of a 200-foot player while still being able to light it up on one side of the ice, uh, that's all that matters to me yeah pretty much so guys let's turn our attention to the goalie tandem of craig anderson and Anders nelson coming into the season one of the big things surrounding this team was who would end up taking the reins of starting goaltender between craig anderson and Anders nelson given that nelson played fantastic for us when we acquired him from the canucks back in january including the final battle of ontario which he won single-handedly 
Going back to our preseason episode again, we started off the episode talking about this potentially being Craig Anderson's final season with the team, given that he is 38 and he is a UFA at the end of the season. In under 41 games, both Craig and Anders has had similar save percentages. However, Craig holds a better goals against at 2.88, while Anders has a better record at 9, 9, and 2. When it comes to how they play, though, I do feel like Anders has been more consistent than Craig Anderson, given that I don't think that Craig has been a complete dumpster fire, as a couple of games he played in were games that the team absolutely left him out the dry. But I do feel that the problems Craig had last season, and even the last couple of seasons, did come with him again this season. So overall, how do you feel about the Sens playing both Craig and Anders as a tandem? And what would you do with Craig Anderson if you're Pierre Dorian now, given the recent emergence of a guy like Marcus Hockenberg? I Yeah, I think that, uh, first of all, I think Craig Anderson has been surprisingly better than I thought he would be this year. Um, he looked completely washed up over the past two years or so. And, you know, this year he still, he has his nights where it's like, why are you playing in the NHL? But then he also has his nights uh, where he'll make a 44 save shutout or something stupid like that, right? Like, uh, he played, uh, it was a Buffalo that he played against the other night uh, coming off of injury, and he played absolutely amazingly, I thought. Like, there wasn't too much he could do when, you know, when he didn't make the stop. But, yeah, Craig Anderson, if I'm Pierre Dorian, if he wants to come back, I, I think you you got to say no. Uh, he's, he's just too old when you need to look for the future. I think if a team wants him at the deadline, you can move him. Uh, if not, you can let him walk this year. But, you know, he's played surprisingly better than I would have thought this year. And that's, I guess, a positive from where I would like what I was expecting. Right. And I, I would agree with you. I, I'm more comfortable, I think, with Anders Nielsen overall. And I, I think that if you compare their performances, Nielsen's highs are lower, but his lows are higher, if that makes any sense. Uh, he's just way more steady than Anderson. But, uh, yeah, with Hogberg... I think you look to move Anderson maybe at the deadline. Uh, I think a team, there are teams out there that uh, could definitely use him. Uh, Buffalo would be one where, you know, they got a tandem that's not exactly working out. Florida might want to look for a backup. Uh, I know Chris Dreiger's kind of took it, taken over over there, but I don't know how sustainable that is. And there's a couple other teams. You know, Edmonton is another one. Mike Smith is really struggling there. If you retain a little money on Anderson and get his cap hit down a little bit, I could see – moving him for an asset, which is more than I would have thought this year. And I, I know there was rumors that Anderson wanted to play again somewhere next year. I just don't think that should be Ottawa, given that they need to find their goalie of the future and they need to figure out if someone like Hogberg is going to be that. Mm -hmm. And I was actually going to say the one team that I thought Craig was going to end up with <coughs> excuse me, is the New Jersey Devils, given that at the start of the season that was the one position that they really didn't have anybody there. You know, and they made all the moves. They brought in Peaky Subban. And they have all these young guys and the Taylor Hall and all these guys. But given that how they've played, I really am very skeptical whether a team like New Jersey would even go after him. Well, now. New Jersey's rebuilding now, especially <laughs> with Taylor Hall out the door. Yeah, yeah. New Jersey would have been, you know, they had they made a bunch of additions this year, and I think if they would have been close to the playoffs, they definitely would have made sense, uh, especially because they've waived Corey Schneider. But yeah, now I, I don't see them giving up any assets to get a goalie when they're kind of in the same boat of Ottawa where it's like, okay, if we don't do good this year, that's fine. We'll just take our pick and rebuild, you know? I'm trying to think of some other teams. There's always, you know, San Jose is always a team, but uh, again, I don't know if they want to be giving more assets to the team that already has their first round pick that then they're really struggling, but, you know, maybe they're a team desperate enough to try and find some goaltending where they go, okay, we'll give you, uh, you know, like I, I don't even know what you guys would want for Anderson. 
at this point, like even a fifth rounder, I, I really wouldn't be disappointed yeah. because I, I love Anderson. I think he's been one of Ottawa's best uh, goaltenders, you know, for longevity. Uh, and he's done a lot of great things over the years, but it's, it's just time to move on. So if, if he wants to keep playing and he wants to go somewhere else, I'd be fine getting any kind of asset back for him. So, mm-hmm. Well, I think it's funny because talking about Anderson having high highs and low lows, I think we're just talking about a microcosm of Anderson's career in one season. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, really. Uh, I mean, there's some times where it's just like, you look at him, you're like, what are you doing? And then the very next year, he'll bounce back and you're like, should this guy be considered in like the Vesna category? You know, maybe not that high, but it's it's crazy how he would jump from year to year to just being this amazing goaltender to someone you want off your team every night. Yeah. So let's turn our attention over to the man known as Hot Sam Bacho, Thomas Shabbat. Coming into this season, Sens Twitter got themselves into a complete tissy over the looming RFA status of Shabbat after the 1920 season, given the departures of guys like Eric Carlson, Mark Stone, Matt Duchesne, etc. The fan base breathed a huge sigh of relief when Craig Medallia put the hilarious Spider-Man 3 video on the team's Twitter of Shabbat dancing with a caption of 8-year extension. So far in the first half, I actually kind of have mixed feelings towards Shabbat's play. While I will say that he has looked really good as of late, I can't say this overall, given that Shabbat has shown flashes of his great play from last season. However, I do feel a combo of his growing pains and a revolving door of defense partners has actually hampered his play overall this season. Would you agree with that statement, Alex, or do you feel differently regarding his play in the first half? Uh yeah, I agree with it to an extent. I think he's been very good. I, I think there's, uh, at times, he gets caught out of position. And, uh, you know, much like what Eric Carlson was like when he's here, that's going to happen when you're trying to do so much because you don't always have the greatest uh, staff around you. Uh, I think your point about the D partner is very spot on. I also think that him and Nikita Zaitsev is a disaster, and I don't <laughs> understand why they played together for so long. I think Dylan DeMello is the obvious fit there. Now, obviously, DeMello's out for a little while, but like that that was the biggest thing for me to start the year. Uh, you know, now, right now, Thomas Shabbat's numbers for Corsi 4 and expected goals. Corsi 4 is sitting at 53.74%, and expected goals is 54.38. Nikita Zaitsev is under 40% for expected goals, and Zaitsev's played a bunch of his minutes with uh, Thomas Shabbat. So, I don't know, like, I, I've been relatively impressed with Shabbat, but that being said, he also had a high bar because I thought he was. I thought he was very, very, very good last year. Um, uh, like, there's just there's not much more I can say than that. He was amazing last year, and I think he's taken a step up, but I also think his surrounding cast also hasn't necessarily helped with that, and that also leads to him not looking as great on the ice. But, you know, if he plays like this and keeps on growing, I won't have any issue because I think he has been, generally speaking, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Going back to what you're saying about Eric Carlson and the growing pains he had, the difference between Shabbat and Carlson is pretty obvious given that Shabbat signed that eight-year extension this offseason. And with that, there's always the expectation that, okay, you're in the NHL, you're making the big money, you have to perform every night, where Carlson didn't have that. Carlson didn't get the big extension while he was still growing as a young player. My big thing, going back to what I was saying about his play in the first half, the criticism I have about Shabbat was even in the second half last season where he did have his foot injury and he did come back, but it just kind of seemed like even last season at times he kind of gave up on some plays. And that was a big criticism I had for him. And you can even go back to episodes in the later part of season two where I said the same thing. I said, you know, I don't know what it is about this guy. Like, the puck goes in the offense and he just sort of glides to it. He doesn't even try to hustle back. 
Yeah, there's definitely sometimes like that. I do want to clarify I was an idiot and I left it on all counts, not 5v5. 5v5, his numbers are still good, but not quite as good uh, for expected goals. But yeah, back to what you were saying. I, I definitely agree with that a little bit. I, I think there's times where, you know, he doesn't look as interested as maybe you would want him to. Uh, I don't know if that's maybe because the team has been so bad while he's been on it. Uh, I can't imagine playing for the 31st place team last year all the time was you wanted to go out and just block a shot or something like that. Um, I, I think there's times where he's like that. At, at the same time, I think when you're playing as much as he does, there's times where you also realize you can't be going 100% every shift and you have to conserve energy. And maybe that's just where he felt he should have, right, rightfully or wrongfully. I'm not going to defend that or anything like that. But, uh, you know, and that, again, going back to the, the ice time usage with DJ Smith, that's the biggest reason I don't think he should be playing 33 minutes a night. When you're playing 33 minutes a night, you're not going to be going anywhere near as hard as you should be on every shift because you know you're going to have to um, take some time and keep some energy for later in the game. So it, it's kind of the same idea with that, where it's like I think if you give him some help and he doesn't have to log, you know, high 20 minutes every night, and if he's not going every night, you can give him a couple minutes off. That might help him a little bit too. Because mm -hmm, I even noticed with certain games this season that DJ Smith would put him on the second pairing, and you wouldn't maybe notice him, but you would notice that his play greatly improved with the less amount of ice time rather than 32, 33 minutes a night. As you were saying, he's trying to conserve energy and not going as hard every shift. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like players are going to want to play as much as they can, but there's also a point where when you play so many minutes, it, you have to start thinking about what he's going to do. I, I think it's uh, Sutter in Minnesota was kind of like that all the time too. It, he'd play 34 minutes a night, but the thing was he'd get burned on two of the shifts every night because it was like he knew he had to go out and play 20 more minutes and they weren't even done. Like the, They were done the second period almost, so. Yeah, I, I, th I definitely think going forward, uh, his ice time is something to keep in mind. I, I think Shabbat is someone who, when you get to the playoff time, he can absolutely handle 35-plus a night if you need him to because he's just that good. But in the regular season like this, it might be better to just let him not play, you know, take his minutes down one or two minutes. It doesn't have to be much, but one or two minutes so he can use the other shifts that he gets to just play better. Yeah, and I think part of that's going to be DJ Smith needs to trust his decor and also fire Nikita Zaitsev into the sun. Yes, and there's only so much you can do with that contract, right? But uh, yeah. one thing I would like to see is, you know, <clears throat> the problem I think DJ Smith has is he goes, okay, well, if we take Shabbat off, who's going to be producing our offense? Just let someone like Eric Branstrom try and do that. I don't think Eric Branstrom's looked very good in the offensive zone this year, but what's the point of trying to get, like, what what's there to hurt if he tries to learn how to you know, find some space in the ozone for him while he's up in the NHL, you know, give Shabbat two of, or give two of Shabbat's minutes to Branstrom and let him grow off of that. So you still have an offensive talent on the ice. Hello, give Lajoie some time, but I'm actually going to yeah. kind of yeah, circle back. I actually don't think Branstrom's been that bad. The hard thing with Branstrom is, well, you're handcuffed to Hainsey. And I think he's looked a lot better after coming back from Belleville. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think for Branchum, before his demotion, 
I thought he was uh, someone who was already an above-average defender in his own end. All of his metrics were pretty good in his own end, but he was struggling to find some offense in the offensive end. But mm-hmm. again, part of that is he didn't get to always play with the top you know, forward unit. He didn't get to play on Kachuk on the ice all the time. And his D partner's Ron Hainsey. And I haven't minded Ron Hainsey this year, but um, let's not act like Ron Hainsey is any offensive stud either, right? <laughs> not anymore. Ten years ago? Maybe. Yeah. So coming into this season, one of the players I was very excited to watch is Brady Tuchuk. Now, I know I saw a tweet on Twitter about how said player was also excited to see Tuchuk over Shabbat play coming into the season. Brady last season instantly became a fan favorite and one of my favorite players to watch as he was such a breath of fresh air with his team with his youthful energy and his fresh out of fucks to give attitude with how he played and how he competed on the ice. So far this season, he has... He's had a decent offensive season with 13 goals, 11 assists, or 24 points in 38 games, playing top-line minutes with a rotating cast on the top line, which included guys like Anthony DeClaire and Logan Brown. He has also continued his physical play from last season as he's averaging four to five hits a night while continuing to be a major pass to their team. Although the one thing I've noticed is that he's starting to pick his spots with what teams and what players he will break that out for. So how have you felt about Brady's play in the first half, and what do you expect from him in the second half? I've absolutely loved his play. Uh, he is one of, if he's either my favorite or second favorite Zen. Uh, it's between him and Shabbat. He is absolutely amazing. I was not happy when they drafted him. I thought they should have gone for someone with a higher ceiling. And I am so, so, so happy that I was wrong about that because he is absolutely amazing. Brady Kachuk is someone who is always around the net. He's always getting feisty. He's always finding shots. His expected goals percentage is 56% right now, and that's insane. Now, he's always going to be, I think, someone who undershoots his expected goals just because so many of his shots are rebounds that are right in front of the net, but that's still okay because you're still draw or you're still converting more than uh, you'd hope. I think he's been, generally speaking, pretty unlucky this so far with uh, how many goals he scored. I thought, you know... Uh, what do you say, 13 and 13? I think he probably, you know, if we're being honest, could probably have a few more uh, or be on pace for more than that by the end of the year. Um, and, and that's just awesome to see, you know. Like, there's, I have absolutely no complaints about Brady Kachuk or how he's played. Um, I think maybe my only complaint would be I'd want to see him start to try and draw a few more penalties without taking so many. Uh, I think he does a great job of pestering the other team, but I also think right now that he gets suckered into taking one of his own at the same time or taking one without the other guy taking one. And honestly, I think that's just something that'll come along as he um, grows as a player, you know, as he figures out what certain refs will and won't call. And, and for someone to be this young and already pissing people off this much, I, I think that's nothing but uh, good things to come. Yeah, and that's the one thing I noticed last season is that for a kid who is, what, 18, 19 years old, like, and I was saying to Tim, I've never seen a player on this team that just came in and made such an immediate impact, not only on offense, but on with the physical play. And we've never really had a guy like that who was a major pest. I mean, you could look back and, you know, you had the Chris Neals and the Brian McGrattons, like tough guys, but we never had a guy who played like a Brendan Gallagher or a Nazem Kadri. I guess the closest we had was late career Burroughs. Late career Burroughs, but even he was so out of it by that point. Yeah. He was just like, yeah, I'm just here to pick up a paycheck. But that's the one thing I've noticed. And going back to discussion period here on the show, Tim and I talked about who would be the next captain. And I honestly feel... Brady Tuchuk would be the next captain because if the team was down by two goals, he could rally the guys and be like, okay, you know what? Throw everything we have at him and let's try and get those goals. 
Yeah, I mean, he's just, he's so amazing. And for the captain debate, I don't really think there's a wrong answer between him and Shabbat or, you know, even Pajot if you bring him back for two or three years. But, uh, you know, I think it's very safe to say that whoever doesn't get the C of those two guys is the other one's going to get the A. And at the end of the day, I I think that we overrate, uh, you know, as fans, we overrate who has the C a little bit. Uh, Who has the C just means who gets to go yell at the ref or be yelled at by the ref. Uh, In the room, there's always a a group of, you know, five or six guys who are going to be the leaders. And I think it's very, very obvious that Brady Kachuk is one of those guys. Um, He's just, I just, I don't know. I have nothing but good things to say. Um, He's like, I didn't really believe people when they said that he was going to be like his brother, but maybe even better and maybe even more annoying. But, I mean, that's really like what he is. That's true. I mean, but then again, he doesn't, unlike his brother, he doesn't have a defenseman that he can piss off at will. No, he doesn't have a true Doughty, or not yet anyways. Maybe he's still working on finding that. There's a lot of good targets for people to absolutely piss off in the Eastern Conference, though. Imagine if he got, like, under Sidney Crosby's gullet. Or Austin Matthews. Or Austin Matthews. Yeah, or even someone, you know, like Morgan Riley, if we want to go to the forward defensive aspect. I mean, and even if there's not one person, just being, you know, getting fan bases and teams mad at you when you're on the ice, as long as you're smart about it, obviously, you don't want to be just getting headhunted out there, but, you know, having people draw or, you know, take penalties against you is is a good thing, simply, simply put. Yeah, I can think of two fan bases right now that really doesn't like Brady. One is Montreal, and the other is Detroit. Philly, too. Philly's oh, gonna Philly, get there. Yes. But, yeah, but they're not in our division, though. I was just thinking more division-wise. More rivals, more fun. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So with all the positive talk we've had about Brady to Chuck, one player I can't really say that about has been Colin White. With the Achilles injury to Jean-Gabriel Pajot last season, Colin did take huge steps forward in his development to stick in the NHL being paired with a rookie Brady DeChuck and Mark Stone before Mark Stone got dealt to Vegas. Coming into the season, big things were expected of him after having the good season previous, and then he signed that long-term extension in August. However, since signing that extension, White has struggled, and of course he's also suffered that injury in the first half, only recording 9 points in 31 games, and as a result, has ended up in DJ Smith's doghouse on the fourth line with Logan Brown. What has been your opinion on White's play overall this season, and what do you think he needs to do to get his game going? In the second half, uh, you know, I don't think that White has been bad as bad as a lot of people say. I don't think he. I, I'm not trying to like completely defend him here. I don't think he's been great by any means. He's just barely even on expected goals, which is like halfway down the Senators' forward list, and he's below. He's at 48 percent for Corsi four percentage. Uh, that being said, I think maybe the expectations were set a little too high, and obviously the contract will do that. It always will. Uh, but to me, uh, Colin White just seems like one of those cases where it's like, I think if you give him some better teammates to play with, uh, he'll, you'll see a bit more production, you know? He was playing on the wing the other night, on the fourth line, and the third line. He's playing with guys like Bodin or Davidson, and I think those guys are fine enough players, but if you want him to be your number one center, you shouldn't be playing him with the bottom six guys. Uh, that being said, I, I don't really know like what he has to do to get out of the doghouse because there's clearly clearly what he's doing right now is not working um, because you can't pay him that much money and get you know nine points in 31 games uh, it, you, just, you can't it's as simple as that uh, I don't know if he should try to work on his defensive game a little more you know round that out and then focus on the offensive thing uh, I don't think Colin White is the number one center going forward on this team I don't know who that will be just yet but I doubt it'll be him 
But I don't. I also still don't think that it's unreasonable to think that Colin White could be uh, Pajot type, maybe a little better. Where it's he's a very good defensive center, could play on your second or third line, but can also find his scoring touch a little bit. Hmm. The other thing though is he's shooting under career average by about two percent. So the breaks aren't really going for him yet. So hopefully something. I think it's just a matter of time. Get some proper line mates and get a bit of luck going, and I think he'll be right as rain. I'm not worried. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wouldn't be... Um, I'm not as worried about uh, him as some people are. I, I think there are some worrying things. It's just, you know, it's also hard to, you know, say, how is this guy not doing good when he's playing on fourth-line minutes all you know all the time and playing with guys who maybe shouldn't even be in an NHL lineup? It's like, okay, well, like, I don't really know what you want me to do here. Uh, but yeah, like even, let's say he turns into a fringe 2C, you know, 3C type guy. With the cap going up at $4.75 million and we're talking about the out- long-term outlook, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. But I think if I'm Colin White, I'm just focusing on the basics right now, uh, trying to do all the small things right, get the breakout going, and then I think goals will come anyways as you uh, earn some more trust back with your coach. Yeah, well, I think the first one is get some real line mates. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's only so much you can do playing at the bottom of, you know, some of it. And some of it goes back to, uh, I forget who mentioned it earlier, but, you know, it's one of the things was you can see in some of the rookies or the young guys where it's like they are so, so afraid to screw up because they know if they screw up they're going to get benched or, you know, their minutes are going to decrease. And I just don't know why we keep looking at it like that because one of the biggest transformations this year, I thought at the beginning of the year anyways, was Nick Paul. Uh, he was a guy who, you know, he always looked okay in fourth-line minutes, but you could tell that he was afraid to screw up because when he screwed up, he got sent down. And then this year, when he just kind of got a leash to play with, he just he looked very, very good for the first couple months of the season. And that's kind of in a year like this, you know, to an extent, obviously, there needs to be punishment when people play bad uh, on a consistent basis. But, you know, with the young guys, you can't just sit them as soon as they uh, screw up because you want them to learn. You want them to fix their mistakes. And, and if they don't fix it, that's when you start to try and punish them a little bit. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, guys, we got two more players we got to talk about here for the 2019-2020 Auto Series for Staff recap. And the next two players we're going to talk about to close out this segment are actually ex-Toronto Maple Leafs. So we're going to start off with Connor Brown. Now, when the Ottawa Senators and Toronto Maple Leafs made the trade to send Nikita Zaitsev to the Sens and Cody Ceci to the Leafs, many Leaf fans, including my brother and YouTubers like Steve Dangle, were sad to see Connor Brown being involved with the trade. Watching Connor in the first half is, bring, for me, bringing back memories of a guy like Clark MacArthur, somebody who isn't an offensive juggernaut, but will give you an honest effort every night. The one criticism I've noticed is that he doesn't always seem to finish all of his chances, and somebody on Twitter, and I do apologize if I don't, recall who it was commented that if he could finish 25 percent of his chances he'd be a 20 goal scorer for sure how much do you know about connor brown when we acquired him and overall how do you feel he has played in the first half yeah i thought it was a pretty sneaky pickup you know it's not one of the you know needle moving things but it's one of those guys where on a young team uh much like pajot it's like uh, you get a guy who comes in and instills that you have to work hard every night and you have to play hard and get chances and uh, I, I totally uh, like what I've seen out of him this year. I think it's been kind of that, you know, he's a fine middle six kind of guy where it's like he can fit pretty much wherever, but he's going to play hard. And to finishing the chances, 
I totally agree with that. He's at a 6.7% shooting percentage, and that's only what hits the net. That doesn't include things where he just completely misses the puck or misses the net or hits the post or whatever. So, you know, part of that's maybe unlucky, but at the same time, I think people have also noted throughout his career that he doesn't have a ton of offensive flair. Uh, he hit 20 goals once, I believe, with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and that was back in 16-17. Since then, he's been at 14 goals, 8 goals, and he has 6 goals this year. But again, like uh, for a guy where it was, it wasn't a complete throw-in, but it was a bit of a throw-in to make the salaries work. I think he's a fine player that you know helps a young team and is a useful NHLer. Yeah, I actually think he's been a bit of a stabilizer with some of the lines for DJ Smith, given that you can insert him anywhere, and he just seems more like a calming, consistent presence on the line. Mm-hmm. And the fact that <coughs> if you look at uh, Mika's uh, threat charts, you see. When he's on the ice, the other teams are getting not a lot to pick at, negative four compared to plus six without him in the defensive end. So Connor Brown, he comes in, stabilizes it, moves the puck to the other end of the ice. Can't ask for much more than that from your lower six. And it was a sneaky good pickup, and I think Brown plus Zaitsev might be better than Cody Ceci and Harper. Because you have to remember, we also got rid of Harper. Yeah, the Zaitsev contract really sucks about that, so I kind of understand why both teams did it. But yeah, I really like Connor Brown. I hope to see them extend him this summer. I think he's someone, if you can get for two to three years at you know $3.5 million or so uh, for a team that's not going to need their cap space for another year, a couple years here, uh, I think that would be a fine pickup just for you know not only culture but on ice because... Yeah, you know, you don't want to overpay for the culture, quote unquote, of your team. But when the the guy brings a good work ethic and also the results are there on ice in terms of how he's playing, uh, you just hope for a little more luck. But other than that, you know, I've really liked what he's brought. Mm-hmm. Can't disagree. Exactly. So to close out the first half recap, the final player we're going to be talking about is another former Toronto Maple Leaf, Tyler Ennis. Now, Tyler Ennis was seen as a low-risk depth pickup for the Senators when he signed with the team this offseason. Much was made of the fact that Ottawa was bringing in many ex-Maple Leafs, including Ron Hainsey, Nikita Zaitsev, and Connor Brown, like we mentioned. For me personally, Ennis has been a very exciting player to watch overall, who has been very consistent in his role as a depth-scoring winger with 10 goals, 11 assists for 21 points in 38 games. He also seems like a guy who is always in the right position to get a shot off. He's always moving around to create opportunities, and he just seems like kind of like a Mike Hoffman guy in a way, or even a Marty Havlat, where he's always constantly moving. He may not always get a shot off, but you always see him in the perimeter ready to take it, get a shot. So overall, what were your thoughts on the Ottawa Senators signing Tyler Ennis? And overall, how have you thought of his play so far? Yeah, I like the signing at the time. I thought it was very low risk. You know, if it doesn't work out, oh well, you could waive him if you really need to. Uh, he makes eight hundred, like league minimum. Um, I thought it was a very smart signing. He's got a uh, bottom six kind of guy who has clearly shown he has skill. You know, uh, this year I think he's been fine uh, or good uh, even. Uh, he's at 52.78% expected goals for percentage. You know, that ranks seventh among uh, Senators forwards who've played 15 or more games. He's been pretty much, you know, what you can ask for in a bottom six guy who can kind of slide up the lineup. And uh, he's someone I think I would look at trading at this deadline. Uh, He's already 30 years old. Uh, If you want to bring him back for a year or two, maybe. But, you know, we've already talked about how we want to bring Brown back. Duclair should be back, absolutely. Uh, you know, maybe you look at someone like Chris Tierney or if, you know, Pajot, if not Chris Tierney. So maybe you don't have room going forward. And I think Ennis 
there's a lot of playoff teams who will take a look at Ennis as a depth scoring option for them uh, to gear up for the playoff run. And I think you can get legitimate assets back for that. And I think it's a smart signing by Pierre Dorian, you know, uh, something that is absolutely low risk, but it could prove to have a decent reward as well. Yeah, and Ennis is playing some of his best hockey in years. So I'm not sure if he repeats either. So I think this is, they bought low, sell high. Yeah, and part of that is also just being able to, you know, have a steady line position. Or not line position, but, you know, you know he knows he's going to have a role on this team. You know, last year in Toronto, he, was, he bounced back and forth between a, being a scratch and being on the fourth line. And, you know, I, I just think that, you know, having a steady playing position like this has helped him, and I think you should absolutely take advantage of that if you're Ottawa. Well, it, it really goes to show just the steadiness is in 38 games, he has more points than he did in 51 in Toronto. Yeah, exactly. And you can't ask for much more than that for a guy who's making 800K, right? Exactly. So. Yeah, but he's also being given a bigger role in Ottawa than he was in Toronto last sure. season because last season he was, what, a third, fourth liner guy? Oh, yeah, and he was fourth liner when he played. Yeah, then That's he would totally get scratched or whatever, right? Whereas in Ottawa... I don't want to say not like Connor Brown, but he's a kind of a guy that you can sort of insert him anywhere as an offensive energy guy. And that's what I really like. Now I know that somebody on Twitter was saying if he was 23, 24 years old, they would be very happy to keep him. But unfortunately, like you're saying, he's 29, 30 years old. So he's more of a pump and dump player at this point. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I think, uh, if you look closely enough, there's usually guys like Tyler Ennis on the market every year that you can find. So, you know, I, I don't think you trade him away and he becomes this uh, first-line all-star or anything like that. So, yeah, I don't, I've really liked what he's brought. He's another guy who seems to have brought some I don't know, decent culture to the room while also bringing on nice impacts, and that's all you can really ask for, in my opinion. Yeah, can't ask for more than that, honestly. Well, guys, that wraps up the 2019-2020 Ottawa Senators first half recap, which can mean only one thing. It's time to segue into the games. Now, we got five games to talk about. We've got the Sens versus the Panthers, Sens versus the Lightning, Predators versus the Sens, Flyers versus the Sens, and the Sabres versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, guys, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Panthers. This is a 6-1 Panthers victory. Sens was scored by Artem Anisioff. Panthers scored scored by Noel Licardi with three, Alexander Barkov, Mike Matheson, and Dominic Donato. Shots were 31-30 for Florida. Noel Licardi opens the scoring for Florida to make it 1-0 on a tip-in. Noel Licardi scores to make it 2-0 Panthers after Jonathan Huberto made the nice move to go around the defense. Artem Anisiev scores to break the scoreless tie to make it 2-1. Alexander Barkov scores to make it 3-1 Panthers after he was left alone on Nilsson's left. Noel Licardi pots the hat trick to make it 4-1 Panthers on a rebound. Mike Matheson hammers one through the 5-hole to make it 5-1. And Dominic Tonato scores to make it 6-1 Panthers, which would be the final. So this is one of the games I had to condense watch given that... The yeah. night this game was happening, I was at our fantasy football secret Santa. So let's start off by talking about Anders Nilsson. 25 saves, a .806 save percentage. Stats-wise, easily this is one of the worst starts he's ever had. However, I do feel that his defense really left him out to dry in this game. Yeah, he got nothing. 
Yeah, there was one or two. You know, I think the sixth goal, it went straight in from the corner. That wasn't great. But, I mean, generally speaking, the team gave him very, very little help in this. And I don't think his stats really uh, showed how he truly played because I thought he was better than, you know, an 800 save percentage. Yeah, and you can really see that the defense really wasn't moving. And uh, this is a game where I was watching it, and I think I voluntarily did chores midway through the game. Yeah, that sounds about right for me, too. I think I turned it on when it was 2-1 or something like that, maybe 3-1, and then Florida scored like three and eight minutes. I was like, oh my gosh, why did I turn this game on? Yeah, because it actually looked like a decent game through the first, and then the floodgates opened. I think this is, and I know Jamie McLennan said it on the show during his interview, you're going to get nights like this with a young team where just all of a sudden everything falls apart. And I think that's really the only descriptor for this game. And I think somewhere near the end of the second period, you could tell the team was looking looking towards Tampa Bay. And the fact that uh, Nielsen played the whole game out, I think really suggests that. That DJ Smith was too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have much more to add than that. It was a, a, a game they probably want to forget, that's for sure. Yeah. The one other note I have on this game is about Ron Hainsey, who is a minus three Judging from what I was seeing on the condensed version, he looked especially terrible in this game as he didn't cover the goal man a couple of times in this one, and I can't remember which goal it was where he tried to skate and he just looked like he tripped over his own feet trying to stop him. I believe... Yeah, it definitely wasn't his best night no. either. And, and, you know, sometimes I wonder when he has a night like that, would it be better, you know, given his age and how much he still plays, to just give him a night off or, you know, give him a night where he doesn't have to play quite as much. Uh, I don't think it has to be viewed as a disrespectful thing to a veteran, but, you know, you're just trying to make sure he's rested so he's ready to go by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably running into why Hainsey gets injured in the games we talk about as well. Because he's playing a lot of minutes, and they're not nice minutes, especially because he ends up on the Shabbat pairing. Yeah, 100%. So guys, I don't have any more notes to make of this game, if you want to head on to the second game of the evening. Yeah? Yep. Sens versus Lightning. This is a 4-3 Tampa Bay Lightning overtime victory. Sens goals scored by Mark Borbieski, Connor Brown, and Anthony DeClaire. Lightning goals were scored by Nikita Kucherov, Cedric Puckett, Braden Point, and Anthony Cirilli in overtime. Shots were 40-28 for Tampa Bay. Nikita Kucherov opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Tampa. Mark Borbeski hammers one from the point to tie the game at 1. Shedrick Packery scores to, from the slot to make it 2-1. Braden Point scores from the wing to make it 3-1 Lightning. Connor Brown scores from the slot to make it 3-2. Anthony DeClaire steals the puck and flies down the ice to tie the game at 3. And Anthony Sillery scores in overtime to get Tampa Bay the W. So this is another game I had to condense watch for different reasons. Uh, I had a staff meeting, and then afterwards we went down to Victoria, which is about an hour away from where I live. And we did an escape room, and we went out to dinner that night. So let's talk about Marcus Hogberg in this game. 36 saves, a .900 save percentage. I thought he looked really solid in this game. Dude was under assault the whole game. Like, any time you come out of a 40 save, a 40 shot against game looking respectable, you've done something right. Yeah, this is when I had a condensed watch too. Uh, I was out that night, I don't remember doing what, but, you know, I, the other thing was, uh, this was right after the Florida game, you know, second half of a back-to-back -back that they just got shelled on, and uh, I think for Hogberg, it was great that he could stand up there and, and give the team something to play for, because... I don't want to say they played great because giving up 40 shots in any game isn't great, but um, 
you know, taking a team that is, you know, the Lightning have struggled, but they're super talented to overtime when you're on the second half of a back-to-back is still impressive, and that definitely starts in net. And uh, it's one of those where it's like, again, uh, the stats don't necessarily show it, but I thought it was more of an encouraging game for uh, Hogbert. Well, I think something that really helped is that game could have gone to hell in the handbasket if Borbietsky didn't tie it up. Like, Yeah, absolutely. It's and not you often. Get the, get the momentum back a little bit, right? Mm. It's not often you get to say Borbietsky was clutch. <laughs> In yeah. goal scoring, but honestly, I'm very happy that he was able to tie a career high in this game with his third goal of the season. That Duclair steal was something beautiful, though, hey? Oh, my God. And you know what goal it actually kind of reminded me of is back in the 2013 playoffs versus Pittsburgh when I can't remember who the defenseman was, but he fed Milan McCulloch, and he just went right down Main Street, split the defense, and scored. That's kind of what this goal reminded me of, except... Duclair ended up stealing it at the blue line from the defenseman yeah. and just took off down the ice. Well, that's what that's one of the things that I think was always kind of underrated about Milan McCulloch, but everyone knows about Anthony Duclair is they got wheels. Yeah, and he uses it to burn people a lot this year. You know, uh, he uses his speed so so well, and that was just another example of it. Oh, for sure. Thumbs down for this game. The Kachuk Pajot Connor Brown line looked bad, like they were sent out against the the Stamkos Sorelli Kaloran line, which has been very, very good for Tampa Bay as of late, and they got slaughtered. It was bad. But again, this is elite talent versus the Ottawa Senators. Uh, versus the Ottawa Senators. And this was the beginning of the Ottawa Senators AHL right side. Yeah, I mean I, I don't have much more to say on that. I think that's very fair. And there's gonna be nights like that, right? Like uh it sucks, but at the same time, it's part of having a guy, you know, Pajot has uh, reaped the benefits of being able to play a little more, but then there's also times where you're going to have guys who are playing a lot, but maybe shouldn't be necessarily every night, and that's going to happen from time to time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, although, speaking about minutes, this was Pajot's 37-minute monster. Yeah. And this isn't the only time we're going to be looking at 35-plus minute games for Shabbat this week. No, there's a there's a bit of a trend of that. Yeah. yeah. It's... it's con- Well, sorry. He only had 34 against Philadelphia. Slacker. Slacker. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have a couple players I do want to mention. Chris Tenieri two, had two assists in this game. Nick Paul and Thomas Shabbat had four shots. But the, I guess the for myself, the big thing we need to talk about was that overtime goal. Because Anthony Sorelli split two Ottawa players and crashed into Hogberg to score. I do agree with Sense Twitter's synopsis that it was a very dangerous move that could have hurt Marcus Hogberg. But you could also make the argument that Sorelli didn't have complete control of the puck to get a shot off quickly. And that's why he ended up crashing into Hogberg to get the goal. Yeah, I didn't really have as much of an issue as some people did with the play. I don't know, I just... I saw some people mad that uh, Hogberg didn't make more of an effort to stop it, and then I saw some people saying, well, he didn't want to get hurt, and I don't know, it just kind of looked like an awkward hockey play to me. Maybe I'm looking at that wrongly, but it was just one that, you know, it happens, it sucks, but it happens. So I thought he just lost an edge, honestly. Yeah, exactly. I didn't really think of it as much more than that. It's one of those goals that if... That was an Ottawa Senator who did that, and we scored. Sense Twitter would be praising it. They'd be like, look at this guy and his effort, and he's willing to go into the net to score. But Sense Twitter didn't have that with Shirelli, and I do agree with you guys is that 
it did, he didn't have full control. He did look like he lost an edge before he went down. But I feel if he had complete control, I don't believe he would have scored. I think Hogberg probably would have stopped yeah. him. Well, at the that. same time, you're expecting nuance out of the internet, bitch machine. <laughs> yeah. I just say, having, I, there's a, fandom's fun for a reason, and it's not because everyone uses common sense 100% of the time. <laughs> I know, yeah, that's exactly. why I don't put, I don't put much stock into people on Twitter anyway. Yeah. You have made pants out. <laughs> so guys, if you don't have any more comments to make on this game, we should head into the third game of the evening. Sounds good, my dude. Sounds good to me. Cool. Preds versus Senators. This is a 5-4 to four Senators overtime victory. It's Preds scores were scored by Craig Smith, Rocco Grimelli, Ryan Johansson, and Roman Yossi. Senators scores were scored by Colin White, Vladislav Domestikov, Artem Anisiov, Brady Dechuk, and Anthony DeClaire in overtime. Shots were 37-24 for Nashville. A back-and-forth game overall. Nashville and Ottawa took turns outplaying the other, which resulted in a 3-1 Ottawa lead, turned into a 4-all hockey game before Anthony DeClaire proved that he's too legit to quit, potting the overtime winner, securing Ottawa the W. Once again, let's talk about Marcus Hogberg. 33 saves, a .892 save percentage, getting his first NHL win, despite letting in four goals. I personally feel that... Even though he led in four goals, three of them were not his fault at all. Yeah, I mean, first of all, this was a very fun game, but I, I agree with you there. Um, I think when you look at the goals, I'm just going through them right now. The first one was a shot from the corner, but behind the net, and Branstrom was just trying to stop the pass, and it deflected off his stick and went in the net. I don't think that's really anyone's fault. I just thought that was a bad bounce. you know. And then there was the next one, I believe, hit someone like right in the middle of the ice and went in. Uh, there was one where uh, Grimaldi pushed it in the side of the net. I thought that one Hogberg probably should have had, but, uh, you know, it happens. And then the Roman Yossi goal was a thing of beauty. He absolutely walked around uh, two to Sen's defenders there and went straight to the net. So, yeah, I don't know. For giving up four goals, I didn't think most of them were his fault. And uh, it was nice to see him get his first career win because he definitely deserved it. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think in any of his losses he played particularly bad. And if anything, no, I think the sense yeah. of something really good in Hogberg here. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. Yeah, and with a lot of people on, especially in Sense Twitter and within the organization, pumping a guy like Gustafson, what we got from the Dark Bazaar from, from Pittsburgh, Marcus Hogberg has been somebody that I don't think a lot of people have really given him a lot of praise or credit. But then when you watch him in these games, you're thinking, whoa, Ottawa might have somebody here. And I know that years ago people were trying to pump up a guy like Robin Leonard given that he was the big Swedish goaltender. But, yeah, Marcus Hogberg, man, he's been pretty solid in these games, as I agree with Tim on this one. And, like I said, in this game, I don't even blame him for three of those goals at all. Also, I never realized how fucking huge Hogberg is. Oh, Hogberg's a big dude. He's Actually, a beast. Anders Nelson's a big guy, too. A lot of people don't realize that, either. Yeah, well, NHL goalies are fucking massive nowadays. Holy shit. Yeah, most goalies are, like, massive, like... You know, 6'2 or so is considered, you know, not that tall or whatever, right? Uh, which is crazy to just think about. So there's a number of players that I want to mention in this game. Even despite what Tim said about the Tchuk Pajot brown line, I thought they played really well. The Logan brown Bodan white line I thought played really well. And also Shabbat and Branstrom I also thought played really strong in this game as well. Yeah, I thought this was one of Branchum's better games of the year. Uh, he made a very good save in front of our own net. Uh, he did some nice things in the offensive zone. I thought Colin White was okay this game, too. Uh, he had his first in a bunch of games in the year, and I just thought he looked pretty good all game long. And 
Uh, I should give a shout out to Ennis for at least trying the lacrosse goal or the Michigan goal, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it didn't work at all, but it was at least fun to see. Oh, that was fun. I'm actually really surprised I did not put that in my notes at all. I'm actually kind of disappointed yeah, he, with myself. Yeah. He got, he got like, stopped halfway up the net. It wasn't very close, but uh, it was still at least fun to watch. Yeah. One guy who was very, very exciting to watch in this game is the man I'm referring to as Hammer because he is too legit to quit, as he declared. That overtime winner. God, that was so nice. Shabbat's just looking over and like, yeah, you got this one. Hammer it. Yeah, it's not even like the first. It kind of reminded me of the overtime winner um, against Columbus, too. You know, same kind of spot, uh, same kind of shot where he just absolutely rips the puck. Uh, and it's just beautiful. And that's part of, you know, what we we're talking about with his deadly shot is if you can set him up to do that a little more often going forward, uh, he's going to score goals with ease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch this game. Uh, I was out with friends, but it sounds like I missed a good one. <laughs> yeah you did it was a pretty solid game overall yeah and as we are saying at the top of the show uh, with our expectations of the Sens as long as they're entertaining it's good and well here we are yeah and that's the one thing that I could really comment about this team this year is that even though we're not winning every game the games are exciting and the games really give us something to talk about and that's all we can really ask of a rebuilding team at this yep. point exactly absolutely so, gentlemen, do you want to head off into the fourth game of the evening? Sounds good to me. Okay. Flyers versus Senators. This is a 5-4 to four Philadelphia shootout winner. Flyers was scored by James Van Riesbike with two, Kevin Haynes, and Jacob Voracek. Senators was scored by Tyler Ernest with two, Mark Borbieski, and Anthony DeClaire. Shots were 38-34 for the Philadelphia Flyers. A fairly even game overall. Both teams were on even footing for majority of this game as both Ottawa and Philadelphia took turns taking the lead and tying the game until it went to a shootout where Philadelphia would get the W. So I know that we were talking about his attempt lacrosse goal in the previous game. Let's talk about Tyler Ennis. Two goals, one assist and four shots. As I was saying in our first half recap, he was in the right place at the right time to bury those chances and... That's the one thing I really noticed in this game is that he was in the right chance to bury it on his second, and he never gave up on his first goal. No. Yeah, he's just he's kind of you know right around the net, and he's just being a, a pain in the ass there, and he's getting rewarded. It's great to see. Uh, I should shout out uh, Boro too. I believe he had a goal in this game yep. from the point, um, which was good to see. Uh, Declare had another one, but yeah, going back to Ennis, that's just that's exactly what you want from right just not giving up on a puck and and just trying to find the rebound and finding the rebound and potting in the empty net that's just sitting there for him yeah and well the thing is he's he's there he's got and he's got the hands to deal with it and i was surprised he still has his legs because that's one thing that even the buffalo days kind of there, kind of not really there but they seem to be working now and it's fantastic i'm always surprised by borrow's slap shot because i always forget he has a weapon like that but I guess it's just, you don't really get a lot of opportunity in the NHL these days to just unleash a slap shot. Yeah, he's got a bomb when he can use it. But yeah, you got to find some space to actually use it. And I really liked that Boros game this year, which is surprising. I was one of his biggest critics the past couple seasons. But uh, I think this year he's become a useful 6th-7th defenseman. And if they bring him back as a 7D type guy for next year, I honestly wouldn't even be that disappointed, I don't think. No, because you know there's going to be no more crime in Canada, sorry, in Canada either. Canada. <laughs> yeah, I was, well, or Vancouver for that yeah, matter. The pro- 
Sorry. My wife's mother was over for Christmas yesterday, so the Japanese pronunciation's still in there. Ah, okay. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, like like we were saying, Mark Probieski, one goal, one assist on four shots. I, I thought he looked really good in this game. Anthony DeClaire had a goal and an assist on two shots. I actually have to say, he actually seemed to have a quieter game than in the, the games previous that I've noticed. Yeah, and I think that speaks to just how well <laughs> he's played in the past couple of games when, you know, two points is a quiet game. Um, uh, but uh, again, like, uh, I don't think anyone's complaining with that. Uh, I thought he played well enough. Uh, one person I thought that didn't play very well at all in this game was Thomas Shabbat. I don't usually speak too bad of him, but I thought he was brutal this game. He had multiple turnovers that led to a goal, and some of that, I think, was you know him just being so fatigued. We talked about he played the 35, 35, 4, 34, or whatever the hell it was, and this was you know the, the tail end of a bunch of minutes in a span of about four nights or so, and you just it, it just showed it had a clear effect on it, uh, obviously. Yeah, and uh, it doesn't help that he's stapled, stapled to Cody Golubov just because Ottawa's right, Ottawa's right side is so depleted that it is actually just AHL players at this point. Because DeMello's gone, Zaitsev's gone, Hainsey's gone, Wolanin's gone. Yeah, and there's even talks that they're going to be bringing Lassie Thompson over from Finland to play on the right side. Holy fuck. That's how desperate we've gotten now that Lassie Thompson is legit going to make this team this year. As at what, he's 18, 19 years old defenseman? Yeah, just because do we have any right right side defensemen right now? No. I think there was one more under contract. I think <laughs> Colin Cudmore tweeted it out and said there was one more in AHL under contract, and after that they would have had to figure out what on earth they were going to do. I can't even, I'm, I'm trying to look at who that would have been who is under contract. Why are our stats uh, like the Is Christian, Christian Yaros? Is he up yes, right Yaros. Yeah, Yaros yeah, isn't up. up yet. Okay. Yeah. Because it's him. So the only uncapped friendly right now, the only non-rostered defensemen they have uh, are Lassie Thompson, Oli Alsing, and and then Yaros and Lajoie. What the <laughs> So. It's like the Sens don't even have that many entries. It's all just been to right defensemen. Yeah, exactly, and they had a bunch of AHL-only contracts, which are fine. I'm not going to complain about that, but uh, that's what you take the risk on, I guess, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I know one thing in the 2020 draft, I know that getting some more right-shot defensemen is probably where the Sens might be looking at with their later-round picks. Yeah, because early round, take the best player. Yeah, but that depends. Like, well, we have two of them right now, and if we get a potential third trade Pajot, then take the best player. Yeah, the top guys can take the best player, and then depending where they are on yeah, the board, go for a right shot. But don't reach. And that's where my criticism of Lassie Thompson in the draft was last year was that I felt the Senators really reached, and if they really were looking for a right shot defenseman, they could have just traded down to get him. One hundred percent. That's kind yeah. of where I'm at in the draft too, especially with first rounders. It's like, let's say you have three centermen that are available when you're picking all three picks in the draft, and they're all insane but there's a right defenseman that you need but he's nowhere near as good just take the centerman and then figure it out later because you know what you can make trades in the nhl you know if you have an excess of centermen or an excess of forwards you can find a right defenseman somewhere um i'm fine if they you know when you get to the third or fourth rounds if you want to take a shot on a right d or two or you know if uh, same with let's say there's a forward and a right defenseman and you feel that they're about equal in skill level Take the right defenseman. That's cool. But, yeah, the big thing, as you said, is don't reach because that's 
when you get into dangerous, and that's when you look silly taking some picks. Exactly. And it's funny because I think it's worked out for Ottawa more than it hasn't, especially with Jared Bernard Docker so far. Yeah, and but he, he made got to stop reaching. So. Yeah. Well, he's their top defenseman right now. Yeah, he didn't look great today, but no. I mean, it's also one game, and the World Juniors as a whole, I think it gets a little too much stock put into it at times. Well, I think it's because it's on TV. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple more players I want to talk about, as Tim was mentioned. Cody Golubeth, minus three, played under 24 minutes, and the only comment I have to make is, why? Why are we playing him 24 minutes a night? Yeah, I I just don't even, like, I don't even have much to say because, it's, yeah, like, that's exactly how I feel right now, too. I, I don't understand it. I don't get why, and I don't know what is going to change DJ Smith's mind about that. Like, fuck, play LeJoie some minutes. Yeah, I and, you know, I made a comment on Twitter as, like, let's take a minute to talk about the fact that Golubev is minus three, under 24 minutes, and yet LeJoie was, what, a plus one in this game, and he played under 10 minutes? Did LeJoie poop in someone's car seat or something? Like, I don't get it. Did he sleep with somebody's wife? That's what I want to know. (laughs) Maybe he got caught talking shit about a coach on an Uber video. Who knows? Yeah, it's like, I don't understand why this guy's just in the shithouse. I don't know, man. I don't think it would be Uber. It might be the, uh, the new light rail in Ottawa. (laughs) <laughs> that thing just doesn't fucking work. I know, and you have experience of that because you were in Ottawa. Wait, with like that. it was fine, but then it's like, oh, the doors don't work. Oh, the ticket scanners don't work. Really? Because it's funny because I remember the first week where people are complaining. It's like they say this thing has seven hundred, but I have to stand next capacity at seven hundred, but I can't sit down. Do you know how trains work? <laughs> like, go to the TTC at rush hour. See how see how that works out. But we're getting digressed here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, two more players we're going to talk about, and they're both goaltenders. As we said in the other previous games, Marcus Hogberg, 34 saves, a .895 save percentage. Now, despite the below 900 save percentage, again, I actually thought he played very good against Philadelphia. Yeah, I thought he played well. He made a couple huge stops in uh, overtime and, you know, near the end of the game there and kept it as a tie game to give him a chance on the shootout. I didn't... I didn't really have uh, much complaint. Uh, there was a few where, you know, maybe you'd like him to have it, but for a guy who's just trying to find his footing in the NHL, I, I thought it was another promising game, and I am I really do hope that he can get a few more games uh, post-trade deadline, you know, and, and try to make a role for that tandem, even if uh, both our goalies get healthy here, uh, because I think he's earned it at this point. Yeah, well, he's played. He, this is another gutsy win. Well, shoot-up loss. Shootout's a joke. <laughs> it is. Well, remember Robin Leonard made that comment, too. He's like, you know, I could play great all you want, but I suck at shootouts. Like, this is a joke. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Actually, funny about Robin Leonard, we actually got to talk about a former Ottawa Senators goaltender who actually beat us in this game, Brian Elliott, because, as we know, when Robin Leonard played for Buffalo, we could never beat Buffalo when he played for the Sabres. Brian Elliott has become the new Robin Leonard because... Since leaving Ottawa, he's still undefeated at 6-0-1 against us. Yeah, he was kind of the same. I, I think this game, for what it's worth, they gave it their best shot. I mean, they put four up on him, uh, and the, you know the team scored from 
the other way. Uh, I didn't think all of them were his fault. Just, just like, you know, I just said the Hogbird made some big saves. He made some big saves, too. But, you know, there was one or two where it was like, on the NS1, I thought Ennis did a very good job um, getting the rebound. But at the same time, there was a pretty juicy rebound, and he was very far out of his net just sitting there. But, yeah, it's been crazy. I, I forget what his numbers going into this game were, but they were absolutely insane. And it wasn't just the record either. Like, the goals against average and the save percentage were just off the charts. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. So, guys, we have reached the fifth and final game of the day. Sabres versus Sens. This is a 3-1 Senators victory. Sabres goals were scored by Zegman Skurgicens. Sens goals were scored by Jean-Gabriel Pagel with two and Brady Dechuk. Shots from 44-29 for Buffalo. A somewhat even game overall. Both teams played with energy and were getting scoring chances for a majority of this game. Despite this, Buffalo outshot and had better chances than Ottawa. However, the Sens were able to get some bounces, go their way to secure the W. So we talked about him in our first half recap. Craig Anderson, 43 save, a .977 save percentage. Absolutely was lights out in this game. And especially with that amazing save in the third period. Yeah, this is probably the peak of his season so far. and That was the best overall game he played. He was an absolute stone wall. Um, I thought Ottawa played okay, uh, but there was definitely times where Buffalo was all over them and you know, especially in the third when they were trailing there, Anderson just absolutely stood on his head. And, yeah, that last goal to, um, you know, uh, right at the end of the game where the, the puck went up and he kind of did a roll and then kept it out as it was coming down, uh, that was amazing. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he was easily the first star of the game. Mm -hmm. Or that crazy poke check that he did. Like, it was yeah. just a stellar performance by Anderson. I think this is a game that Buffalo probably wins nine times out of ten. But, holy shit, Anderson just... What is it with Anderson coming back from breaks from work and just destroying an opponent? I don't know. I'm just very happy that Jack Eichel didn't score four goals against us again. What, so he wouldn't have uh, Third Line Plugs game feature Jack Eichel versus the Senders? Yeah, Jack Eichel's goals were scored by Jack, Jack Eichel's Eichel four. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they and for what it's worth, I thought they did an alright job shutting Jack Eichel down, too. It's not like he had any... Or not, he had a few, but it's not like he had so many good looks like he did that first time they played him this season. It's true. Rather unfortunate, but Max Lejoie got stapled to the bench again at six minutes of ice time. Andreas Engaland also stapled to the bench. And Thomas Chabot with 32 minutes. Yeah, but the thing is, he was a plus two in under 32 minutes, and I actually thought he looked solid. I think he looked better. Yeah. I think he would look phenomenal if he got to play 23 minutes like a normal human being. Yeah, but you know D.U. Smith's not going to do that, Tim. Yeah. Boy can dream. That's true. Pajot had the hot stick for this game. Uh, it's funny that uh, Duclair's been Mr. December, but uh, Pajot's adding those goal totals, which is really nice to see. Mm -hmm. I was actually very happy with the top lane to Chuck Pajot, Connor Brown. Uh, they played a really good game, and it showed on the score sheet. And I guess we should talk about the Brady to Chuck open net goal. Call for Pelly. That counted. I have been watching hockey my entire life. Off the top of my head, I can't think of another moment when that actually happened. I don't know if I've seen it in the NHL. I know in minor hockey I have once or twice. I, I just kind of laughed at it, too. I was like, because I bet you, like, I don't even know if they explained it in the arena. I was like, I didn't hear it over the TV or anything like that. They The announcers were explaining, you know, why it was a goal or whatever. But I was just kind of laughing. I was like, there might be a lot of confused people about that right now. But at the same time, I think everyone kind of intuitively gets it. Cause yeah, it's, like, like it's not a hard rule to understand, yeah. right? 
It was going in anyway. Unless you mm-hmm. are uh, Mr. Patrick Stefan. Yeah, unless you roof it up uh, over or on the glass and then go back the other way. But... Oh, God. Who was that guy with the Hurricanes who did that years ago? He had it and he, like, flipped it right over the net. And now uh, Goldhorn still went off. Because <laughs> like, the guy there really thought it I know what you're talking about. The, the worst one was was Stefan playing with the Stars when that happened, and yes. the Oilers went back the other way to tie the game. Yeah, and that's how the Oilers got into the playoffs that the, year. No, they didn't make the playoffs. Oh, they playoffs. missed the playoffs, Yeah, right? they missed the playoffs. But the funny yeah, thing is... They, they lost the game in overtime, I'm Yeah, sure. Edmonton ended up losing that game, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought they won Dallas it. won it in overtime. Oh, okay. But, yeah, but all that gets remembered is that uh, missing the empty net because he, he tried to roof it or whatever. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, that was, that was a funny play, and... Uh, yeah, I thought Peugeot, one thing in December that Peugeot, he hasn't scored as much, but uh, he's still been making his way on the the stat sheet with some assists, you know? Like, it's not like he's completely shut down in the month of December. He's just finding other ways to produce, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm cool with that as well. What's really funny is if you look at the matchup charts, you can see that uh, the Kachuk-Peugeot-Brown line was hard matched to the Eichel line, and I thought they did really good. Oh, they dominated. I mean, I think Eichel was on for all three goals against. Now, the empty netter, I'm not going to fault him on. But, you know, when you're on for all both the even strength goals against, uh, that says something. You know, they did a great job. Mm-hmm. So the final comment i got to make of this game, Alex, is something that I always seem to mention on the show with games is that sometimes I'll notice certain songs or certain music cues that DJs in hockey arenas will use during games. And Tim and I have had the luxury to talk with Sens DJ Alex Marchand in the past. And the one thing that I noticed about him in this game is that there's two songs that he played that I noticed right away. And the first one was DJ Cool, Let Me Clear My Throat. Now, this is kind of funny, given that the Buffalo Sabres use this as their goal song, which in the game where Jack Eichel scored four goals against us, I got really, really sick of that song. But the other one was a song by a band called Belle de DeVoe called Poison. And it's funny... This past summer, one of my coworkers had a party, and both those songs were on her playlist. Huh. Yeah, that was, I didn't even pick up on stuff like that. I mean, I don't always pay attention to the background. I know one thing I do is I, I like to gif a lot of the games. So a lot of the time when it's in the whistle, I, I'm trying to work on my computer, go on Twitter, and get all the clips that I can up. But yeah, that's the, that's a very funny pickup. Mm-hmm. One thing that was funny is uh, Ralph Kruger channeled his inner geek. With an eleven and seven exquisite lineup. No, really? Yeah. Curtis Lazar saw, and it was weird because he was essentially just rolling nine forwards, because Curtis Lazar saw six. Sorry, yeah, he saw eight nine minutes of ice, and Applin saw eight. I still can't believe that you know Curtis Lazar's still in the NHL. I mean, he can be a fourth. He can be your thirteen forward. That's true, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe because I don't really realize he's still in the league, but remember when we were first starting the podcast and I said about, did you send him a fruit basket when he played for the Flames? This is why he didn't stick in Calgary, Tamas, because you didn't send him a fruit basket. Where was I going to send the fruit basket? Send it to the Flames Arena. I don't know. Jeez. <sighs> so, gentlemen, I don't have any more comments if you have anything you want to talk about this game before we head off into the close. No, no. I'm good. All right. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording them for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also find us on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M9 on Honey Badger and I'm at Great White Gipster, G R 8 W Y T E Gipster. 
If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, our first half recap, or you want to give Alex Metzger some props for his appearance on the episode, shoot us an email, thirdlightplugsoundscast at gmail.com. So what do we got for next week? So for next week, Tim, we've got four games on the schedule. Sunday night, we are playing the New Jersey Devils at home. Monday, we are in Pittsburgh to play the Penguins. Thursday, we're at home to play the Florida Panthers. And Saturday, we are playing Tampa Bay at home. That's a lot of hockey. That's a lot of hockey, but you know what, Tim? It's going to be some good hockey, hopefully. Hopefully. Maybe we can lose to Jersey and get some of that, that tank magic going. Oh, that would just be fantastic. So, Alex, we can't thank you enough for joining us here uh, for this week's episode. Now, two things before we let you go. First of all, where can the people find you on Twitter, and how can they find Last Word of Hockey and the m M&M Podcast? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, at NHL Sends and stuff. Uh, it's all one word. I put all my stuff there, work, uh, you know, podcasts. I give most of the Sends games. I think I've got at least three-quarters of them this year. Uh, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com, along with all other kinds of great work. You know, there's daily rumor segments, daily predictions, analysis that goes out, uh, hockey news, all kinds of stuff. And you can find the M&M Hockey Podcast. Uh, that's M N M. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, so Apple, Spotify, iTunes, uh, you know, all of that. Uh, so, and thank you for having me, guys. This has been an absolute pleasure. It's been fantastic, man. Now, last thing before we let you go, it's become a tradition whenever we get a chance to talk with people on the podcast to get them to either yell or say hot sambacho. So, before we let you go for another day, can we get a hot sambacho from you? Hot sambacho. For Alex Metzger, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sands, guys. Woo!